to celebrate is upon us. After it all, it is that special time of year. The Christmas season is coming, and a matter of fact, it'll soon be upon us. But the biggest one misconception is that Christmas is the reason for the season. While a great number of people do celebrate Christmas, an equally great number of people celebrate other holidays, or in fact, nothing at all. And that's just fine, because the Illuminati and the New World Order don't want you sharing in their special holiday. What holiday might that be, you might ask? Well, it is the Winter Solstice. The Winter Solstice dates back millennia into human history. There's evidence of people keeping track of solar events as far as 30,000 years ago, with some bone artifacts found with markings that appear to keep track of lunar cycles. While this find is somewhat controversial, Newgrange, which is a structure in Ireland, has a specific alignment so that on the winter solstice, a light penetrates and illuminates one part of the altar. So we can see from very ancient times, this exact day, December 21st, the winter solstice, was incredibly important for a lot of people. And the re- that's the real reason that this season is so important. See, the year is divided into two halves. There's the summer half, which is associated with the female. And of course, it's warm, it's nurturing, it gives of itself but not wholly without consequence. Just as a mother does things for you, she also expects certain things from you. The winter, meanwhile, which is the phase we are about to come into on Thursday, December the 21st, that's the more male-oriented. It's cold, it's frigid. It will provide for you if you have provided for yourself, but Unless you hunt, unless you fish, unless you do those manly activities, you are going to starve. Now, while it is true that the winter and summer solstice is basically from a northern hemisphere perspective, only 22% of the world's population lives in the southern hemisphere. So, for 88% of the world, this remains true. Now, there's a lot of significant events that have taken place precisely on the winter solstice. Now, I could get into births and deaths, but um, 
quite frankly, I don't attach as much significance to that as other people do. Unless, of course, it would be something significant. But people are born when they are born, and people die when they are going to die. So I'd rather choose, a major, choose to look at major events. One of the first really significant events that we can see in the modern day and age was 1620, when the, when the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. That's right, they landed on Plymouth Rock on December 21st. The old myth about the pilgrims arriving and having a bount bountiful time until the winter came is completely untrue. They arrived at Plymouth Rock on December 21st, just in time to see the worst of winter. They didn't have time to plant their crops until the next season, much less for friendly First Nations people to be assisting them. They had to weather that first winter, and they barely survived. So that lets that myth out of the way. And for those of you who listened to last week's show, you know the Pilgrims gave birth to two very significant people, Increase Mather and Cotton Mather. Cotton Mather, who, as we know, conducted the Salem Witch Trials and was the founder of Yale University, both landmark events in our present day. Another very interesting date would be 1937, in which Disney released Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was the world's first full-length animated feature. Now, for everyone who's seen it, of course, it involves an evil queen, witchcraft, and seven good-natured dwarfs, a charming prince, the usual, Disney, the usual Disney formula, or as some might say, the usual Disney ritual for taking your money from your wallet and enriching their own black magic spells. Much more significantly, in 1968, Apollo 8 launched from the Kennedy Space Center on December 21st, the winter solstice. Now, why is this significant? Because in the space program, nothing is left to chance. The Apollo missions were done with the cutting-edge technology of the time, and to be honest, the scientists knew what they could and could not accomplish. Whether you believe the moon landings were real or not is not the subject for this time. But the fact is, the date chosen for the expedition's beginning was December 21st, the winter solstice. So that way, they could arrive at the moon for Christmas Day and give, a fair, give their famous speech. Now, could they have done it another day? Absolutely. But they chose that particular day for all the significance associated with the New World Order. After all, if you're going to have their first steps on another planet, you might as well make them the absolute best possible on the most significant day. They would celebrate on December 25th with a speech from the moon, but the day the plans were set in motion was the winter solstice. And an event a little more recent would be 1988, Pan Am Flight 103, Locker, the Lockerbie bombing happened. In 1988, there was a terrible bombing which killed um, 270 people. 
and its repercussions are still being felt to this day because the Scottish people, only a few years back, released the Lockerbie bomber due to health concerns. They believed he only had about six months to live. However, the truth is, he's still around to this day. So we can see it was yet another Illuminati bloodbath, and on the very specific date of the winter solstice. And finally, this should be in virtually everyone in my listening audience's memory, in 2012. Remember that? Just a few short years ago, the world was going to end on December 21st, 2012. How many of you thought it was going to happen? And how many of you, like me, sat back and just waited for the Illuminati plan to unfold? Well, as it turned out, absolutely nothing of significance happened, and we're still here today. So, we can see that there is great significance attached to the winter solstice. And why is this? Well, as I said, it marks the time of the year between the, the male-dominated portion, which we are just about to enter into, and the female portion, which we are just leaving. Now, overall, the present age we are in is the female-dominated age. This started back in the Victorian era, which some of you may find rather unusual. The Victorian era was not exactly the most liberal era, but the same token, it set the stage for the modern era. Now, let me state right now, I have no issue with women's liberation. I believe in equality between the sexes. I believe in equality between races. I have no particular issue with any race, creed, etc. All I am doing is I am documenting the Illuminati's perception of these events. And while we are in a female-dominated age, the fact is the male and female dynamic is still one that is not in balance. Balance, as the Hegelian dialectic teaches us, is a result of a thesis and a synthesis. In other words, an idea ends its opposite. And we find this not only in the male and the female, but virtually everywhere we look in society. If you look at our friends to the south in the United States, they believe there's no further divide greater than between the Democrats and the Republicans. And realistically, they're both centrist parties that disagree on a few very minor issues, especially when compared to the world stage, where you can get everything from major religious parties to majorly secular parties, both with different names and intentions and all intending to do, do, to, to do good for their citizens, but ultimately opposed to something. Everyone consider themselves the ideal or embodiment of a certain set of morals. And this is exactly what the Illuminati believe they are. The twelve secret families, the six that are revealed and the six that are hidden, all believe they are the ones that control the agendas that you and I, the regular folk, are here to listen to and to adhere to. We are not permitted to question their rituals. We are not permitted to know why December 21st is so significant, unless, of course, you have an intellectual bend and would like to do a little digging. But what we are expected to do 
is to focus on December 25th, Christmas, the birth of Sol Invictus, or perhaps Jesus Christ, depending on which religious interpretation you follow. However, back to the date in question, the switch to the winter solstice. What we have to do is consider what is embodied in the female and the male ideals. Well, in the early 20th, in fact, the late 19th century, the two ideals were put forth. We'll start by examining the female part of the dialectic because this is the phase that we are just leaving. So it seems a little appropriate to say a justifiable goodbye. Now, in the Victorian times, the female was considered the part of the family. The man was the public figure, but the female, of course, was there to make business happen, to ensure things were working. They would bustle about with their petticoats and their raised skirts, but to not have the proper social status in public, you would not be considered a fit wife. But one woman who really stood out in this age was a woman named um, Madame Helen Blavatsky. Well, Yelena would be the proper pronunciation, but she's known in the Western world as Helena. Um, this woman was unusually liberated for her time. She was very unusual in pretty much any time period that you could put her in. Not only did she start traveling from a very early age, she claimed divine inspiration from the hidden masters. Yes, the same hidden masters we frequently discuss here on Just Another Conspiracy Show. An interesting woman in every respect. Um, she had a very, very peculiar set of beliefs, and her appearance was remarkable. In an age known for heavyset women, she was considered fat and obese for her time. Despite that, she had a number of marriage proposals from a surprising number of suitors. They all found her equally fascinating. And she was a prolific author, and she was incredibly well-read. She founded the Theosophical Society in order to promulgate her beliefs. Now, her beliefs were vegetarianism, which she herself did not adhere to, but insisted her followers should. After all, just like your mother told you, do as I say, not as I do. She also had particular tenets that she required her people to follow. The, the aims of the Brotherhood of Theoso Theosophy, which I should actually break it down first of all, Theosophy is a merger of two Greek words. Theos, meaning divine, and Sophia, meaning wisdom. So thus, it, the Theosophical Society means a society of divine wisdom. They were the ones inspired from above, from the same hidden masters. They had three declared objectives. <clears throat> the first was to form a nucleus of the universal brother of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. Initially, this sounds good. We will come back to it. To encourage the study of comparative religion, philosophy, and science. 
This initially doesn't sound so bad. After all, philosophy is fantastic to study. I highly recommend it. Science. Who could be against science? We all want to know how the world works. Whatever your perspective is, that is what you want to know. But comparative religion? This can be interpreted as a number of ways, and generally comparative religion is trying to mishmash the parts of different religions together that you like. Once again, the holiday of Christmas, Santa Claus, taking Sinterklaas from Northern European folklore, adding certain elements from other, other tribes in the area, and mashing them into Christianity, is something not widespread up until around the Victorian era. Before then, it was just Father Christmas, Sinterklaas, whatever might be the local tradition. After the Victorian era, Santa Claus becomes a worldwide phenomenon through a combination of advertising and, of course, through church preaching. After all, what better way to encourage obedience than to get the young children to be afraid of a physical figure that can, that can punish them for being good Sorry, punish them for being bad and reward them for being good. If you get that in from an early age, even though you might not get them to buy all the tenets of your religion, you will get them to buy into the basic idea of the story and the cycle of reward and punishment. The other part about Helen Blavatsky was she was of Russian, German, and French aristocratic background. That seems to be three different sources, but remember, this is the Victorian era. Queen Victoria was mother, grandmother, and aunt to virtually every single household in Europe. So, Madame Blavatsky was extremely well-connected to the Illuminati, to the New World Order, and she was part of the Victorian and the current Saxe-Coburg bloodline. In a much shorter, in a much shorter leap than one or two generations, this would be a direct cousin, a direct descendant. As a woman of some means, as her father had passed away and left her very wealthy, she personified the posh lifestyle. Now, posh was a particular term for the well-to-do of that era. It meant port out starboard home. That meant you were placed on a ship for the port side for the voyage out. That way, your room would be the most comfortable in the, t in the temperature that you were going into. You'd be in the shade. Since the ship turning around would be the opposite way, you'd have the starboard, the starboard cabin on the way home. And believe me, Madame Blavatsky was a world traveler in this time. She went everywhere from Quebec to Tibet, although perhaps her most famous part was this time that she spent in Tibet. She claimed to be visiting her hidden masters in various mountaintop retreats, but this is solely from her own recollections at a much later date. Um, unfortunately, none of her writings survived prior to about 1878, and after that, well, people's memories do change as time goes on. Even your own recollections may not be 100% accurate. 
If you can sit down and honestly ask your friends, they may remember certain events quite differently than you do, even without the influence of any mind-altering substances. And that's just simply a faction of being a human being. We all have a different perspective on the world, and we all see things slightly differently. However, after this secret instruction, she began to exhibit the usual mediumistic rituals that you would have in those days. Fielding of apports, A-P-P-O-R-T-S. That means the production of a substance from nowhere. She claimed to be able to levitate things, and of course, she could communicate with the dead, which was all the rage in that Victorian London time. Death was huge in the 1900s in London, and probably around the world. There was a practice of uh, corpse photography where you would dress a recently deceased up and pose them with the family, just just kind of like a selfie, just saying, hey, we're all okay, everything's fine, and after which the burial would take place. So to be able to communicate with the dead was seen as the Holy Grail. Now this would later be rebelled against by such figures as Harry Houdini, who challenged mystics to be able to actually communicate with the dead. But in the late 1900s, sorry, late 19th century, this was the late 1800s I'm talking about, 1880s, 1890s, it was considered one of the biggest gifts for a medium to have. And Madame Blavatsky herself was absolutely a medium. The one prediction she tried to make come happen was to give the world a new messiah. Now this is something we will see comes up also on the male side of providing a new messiah. But in the Theosophist case, they found a young man named uh, Jiddu Krishnamaruti, and I do apologize if I got that pronunciation wrong. They basically found this young man in Tibet. and they raised him to take over their society under the personal tutelage of Helen Blavatsky and some of her um, closest acquaintances, the leaders of the theosophical movement. But he, as he grew older, especially into teens and adulthood, chose to distance himself from theosophy. He did eventually establish his own order, which is still known to this day, and theosophy still exists to this day. And people are still investigating truth and understanding the laws of nature. But the one thing that sticks out about theosophy was the first tenet, which I said we'd come back to, which was to form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. Again, on the surface, this is an admirable quality, but once you dig beneath, it's also kind of the very thing that globalism is trying to do, trying to erase the boundaries between one person and another. And while ultimately this is a good thing, I like being able to walk out and not having to know and not even having to care whether my neighbor is black, white, Indian, Persian, Brazilian, Chinese, whatever it might be. That is the upside. The downside, of course, is the free trade that we are going through, the breakdown of borders, 
and while I in no way, shape, or form endorse the United States and their plan to put up a huge wall between themselves and Mexico, there does need to be somewhat of a separation between people. Not everybody can be compressed into one homogenous mass and all sing we are the world together, which should be a song you hear a lot of very shortly. There will always be individuals and there will always be those who do not quite fit the mold. Probably a lot of you, my listeners, fit into that just off of center mold because we think slightly differently. So the female perspective, sorry, the female portion of the world for the time from the winter, from the summer solstice to the winter solstice is based around globalism and sharing and coming together. The male, which starts up again on December 21st, they have their own kick at the can, and while they are not dominant presently, their time will come. The struggle between the two is not over. At about the same time that Madame Blavatsky was forming her Theosophical Society, there was another movement <coughs> in Germany. Now the movement was called the Volkisch Movement, which literally means the People's Movement. You might kind of think of them as proto-hippies. Um, they believed in taking long hikes, going around in nature, having bonfires, singing songs, breaking out the guitar. Probably wouldn't be a terrible thing to have happen. But just like the hippies had their Vietnam, the Germans went through something far more soul-destroying. They went through World War One. Now, after the bodies were counted and after the defeats were tallied, some very, very negative reactions came out of the populace. They had no idea why they had lost. They didn't know the bigger situation that the German high command did. Because, of course, the Kaiser and the high command had always ensured that the people, everything is fine. We're eating turnips this year, but next year after victory, we will have sausage and liverwurst and beer for everyone. So, in the 1919 to 1921, a lot of societies were being formed. There were socialist groups rising in Germany, and there were even some cities being taken over by socialist organizations. But the one that we're going to focus on is an incredibly influential one that personified the male section of the, po of the year, and that was the Thule Society, T-H-U-L-E. Now, the Thule Society was named after an ancient word which possibly comes from Greek, possibly Mycenaean, but basically looking at a three, four thousand year old word, just basically meaning Northern Europe. Over time, it has evolved to symbolize a mystical homeland. That's thanks to not only Nazi ideology, but pre-Nazi ideology through the Thule Society. And they basically transformed this idea of Volkish uh, ideas into the pre-World War II Germany. The people wanted something to be done for the people. 
And one word I would always warn you against, if you ever hear somebody saying they're going to do something for the people, start paying attention because something bad is going to happen to you and I. And the Thule Society, well, technically they were not associated with the Nazis. A great number of the Nazis associated with them. Um, a man named Dietrich Eckhart was definitely associated with the Thule Society, attended their meetings, and was the actual founder of the National Socialist Party. Yes, the party that would later raise Hitler to power. Now, as I said, while directly the Nazis didn't have direct involvement with the Thule Society, they were frequent guests and visitors to it. The Thule Society was never very big, only a few hundred strong. But those few hundred were keeping their ideas of racial purity, of one, one land for the German people, one culture for the German people, and a turn away from Middle Eastern ideas such as Christianity, and back to German traditions. You may have heard this before from World War II, the Nazi ideology, because the Thule Society, while can't be said it directly sponsored the Nazi uh, theories and philosophies, they had a significant hand in them. As I said, Dietrich Eichhardt was the man who chose Hitler to run the National Socialist Party, and he was heavily involved with the Thule Society. A few other major Nazi names come up, but um, the major point is the Thule Society was the male. The exact opposite of the female globalist society it was male, it was isolationist, it was tough, it was brutal. And ultimately, what Hitler took out of that was the, were those exact ideas, the Nietzschean struggle against weakness in human, humankind and against weakness in the one pure race. Now, the Thule Society was eventually dissolved by the Nazis once they grew into power, which initially you might be thinking is an odd thing. Well, the fact is the Nazis never did directly control the Thule Society. The Thule Society had its own ideas and never had totally accepted the Nazi leadership in. But despite the fact that they dissolved the society in about 1929, in 1936, the Ananerbi is born, thanks to Heinrich Himmler. Now, Himmler himself was never directly involved with the Thule Society, but he was involved with all the chief ideas of a pure Nazi Aryan race, of this isolationism, one Germany with plenty of Lebenstrom, living room. He was the one that tried to put all that into one cohesive folklore structure, of which the Ananerbi borrowed significantly heavily from the former Thule society. And in history, even though, there's, even though there is a separation in time, it's only five years. The very same people would have been there to give advice on how best to do certain things, how best to organize certain things, and they would have done very well. So, what, or where we come to with all of this is the Nazis, of course, pu pushing the communists out, 
the communists being the more feminine side, and taking over Germany. And, of course, World War II, with formerly Victorian England on one side, and male, masculine, thule-oriented Germany on the other. The two societies did have their war, and ultimately the female side, the allies, were the ones who, who were the victorious. Fortunately for our modern age, this is a good thing. Because nobody would want to live in a Nazi society. No matter how isolationist your ideals might be, we can agree that the male should never be allowed to completely dominate. However, it's false security to totally believe in the female paradigm. It gives rise to pseudoscience, globalism, and equality to the point of persecution, which is equally as brutal as Nazism ever was. We, we have to move forward and figure out a way to balance the male and the female parts of the year, instead of the globalist tendency to break the year up into the male and female portion. It's a false dichotomy, one that we should not be following. But we still wind up every year celebrating the exact same winter solstice, also known as Christmas. This is what we have to work at work with. Christmas itself is a perfectly fine holiday. I have no problem with hearing Christmas carols, seeing Christmas decorations, hearing the Yuletide songs. But I do have an issue when globalist corporations, like certain major big box stores, um, a certain major soft drink company, and the examples go on, embrace it and use it as part of a marketing strategy. Because what they're selling you is not just their product, they're selling you their worldview. Because, oh yes, they want you to become part of the globalist regime. Lay down your thoughts, lay down your borders, and open your hearts to our soft drinks, to our dreams, to what we want for you. Because after all, isn't the ultimate dream for her mother, for her child, to grow up exactly the way she wants them to be? And this is where we find ourselves in the present day. I wish to thank you all for joining us for another episode of Just Another Conspiracy Show. Have a safe holiday, everybody, and I look forward to chatting with you again. Take care. Good evening.